Welcome to our Holy Week devotionals. This devotional is for the Saturday of Holy Week, and the theme is The Power of Skepticism. Theologian Robert McAfee Brown said, Faith is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be wondered. Brown's words are comforting because they remind us that God takes our questions, doubts, and even our skepticism seriously. In fact, when we bring our skepticism and our true selves to God, we actually gain access to the power of God. This is what happened in our scripture reading today from Mark's Gospel. The scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, were skeptical when Jesus told the lame man whose friends lowered him through the roof to Jesus that his sins were forgiven. The religious leaders thought it was blasphemy. They believed that only God could forgive sins. Their skepticism unlocked the power of God. By healing the man physically, Jesus revealed that he not only had the power to heal, but he had the power to forgive sins too. Jesus revealed his divine power because of the skepticism of the religious leaders. When we are honest with God, we gain access to all the power of God too. Now where in your life and mine are we skeptical? Today is Holy Saturday when Jesus spent the day in the tomb. Many of us may have legitimate questions about how the death of Jesus brings us eternal life. But when we admit our doubts and ask God our honest questions, we actually gain access to the power of God, and that is where we meet the risen Jesus Christ. And even if we don't fully understand the resurrection and are sometimes skeptical about it, we can still shout the mystery of our faith tomorrow on Easter Sunday. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. I had the privilege of preaching a sermon on the power of skepticism on the first Sunday of Lent. If you want to watch that sermon, you could click the link below, or you could stay on the podcast and listen to it, the audio version. This morning, we're beginning a new sermon series called Reclaiming Power. And we use the word reclaiming power because so often power in our society is thought of in a negative way. We know that sometimes people have abused power and mis misused power, and also the power corrupts, whether it's financial power or political power or military power. We've all seen the abuses of power. So sometimes we tend to shy away from power and think it's a dirty word. But in Lent, we want to redeem and reclaim that word because actually, we as Christians believe that all power belongs to God and that God is the source of power. Human beings aren't the source of power. God is the source of all power. So as people created in the image of God, God wants us to learn how can we, all of us, tap into the power of God so that we might be conduits of God's power to a needy world. How can we be good stewards of power? So we're going to be looking at things that you might not think are very important, like humility and weakness and vulnerability. And today we look at skepticism. But actually, God can take those things that we think get in the way of God's work and can actually use those things, God can, to unleash God's power to a world in need. I hope you'll make these sermons and these worship services during Lent in person or online a priority so that we might not only tap into the power of God, we might be conduits of power to a world in need. 
Today's scripture for this first sermon in the Power Series is a blockbuster. I wish Steven Spielberg could make a movie out of this. This is spectacular drama. Listen for the word of God. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And Jesus was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through the roof, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Child, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? This is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, may we tap into your power today so that we might be conduits of your power to a broken and a needy world. We pray that you would pour through me the gift of preaching, that these words might unlock this scripture, and that by a miracle of your grace, we might really unlock your power today, O oh God, in our lives. All this we pray with anticipation and boldness, and we pray in the strong name of Jesus, the one who you raised from the dead, Amen. Don't ever, ever underestimate the power of God. Now picture this amazing scene in your mind's eye. Jesus is gathered at a house, at a home in Capernaum, the headquarters of his ministry. It may have been Peter's house where Jesus had just a few days earlier healed Peter's mother-in-law. We don't know exactly the house, but we know the house was packed. So packed people were sitting on the floor and they were cramming into every corner and they were standing on their tiptoes trying to get a look at Jesus and trying to hear Jesus and they were poured out the back door and poured out the front door out into the street. There wasn't any place that didn't have a person in it and the people were all there trying to hear what Jesus was saying to them, his teaching. Now in the middle of all this, four people come carrying a man on a stretcher, a paralytic, he's paralyzed. 
There's so many people in the house, they can't get in the front door, they can't get in the back door, they can't get in the side door, they can't get them to Jesus. And they wanted to get them to Jesus because in Mark chapter 1, there's all these stories that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, he healed a man who was a leper, he cast out demons of people who came to the temple, he cast out demons, he was always healing people. So these four are desperate to get their friend to Jesus. So they tried by any way they could to get him to Jesus. There's no way in. But Palestinian houses had a second floor, a roof, really. And up the side of the, of the house, there were steps. I've seen houses like this in Capernaum. Steps up the side of the house, and the roof was like an extra room. You know how we do in California. We have an extra room, and it's often a, a backyard. But actually, we use it like an extra room. And they use this roof like an extra room in their house. There were boards and slats across the roof, and, and in between, there was dried mud, and there were, there were big branches, and so it was easy to walk up there with, once they had gotten it all set. It was easy to walk up there and sit up there and, and have a glass of wine up there or talk up there. It was an extra room. So they got him up to, onto the roof, and then they dug through that, those branches and the dried mud and all the debris and the slats, and they literally lowered him down through the roof to the floor. Now just imagine we're sitting here in the, in the worship service today and somebody is cutting through the roof in the house and they lower somebody down so that Jessica or Eric might heal them. Peter would have to move over. The choir would have to move over. The person is right there. I wonder how the trustees of the foundation would feel about this if, if they cut through the roof. But, but they're so desperate to get the person to Jesus. They do anything they can to get him there. And, and once he's there on the mat in front of Jesus, I don't think anybody breathed. What's Jesus going to do now? What's going to happen and Jesus saw the faith of the four, not the faith of the paralyzed man. He saw the faith of the four who brought him to Jesus, dig through the roof, lower the guy down. He sees the faith of the four, and then he says to the paralytic, my child, listen how tender that is, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are kind of sitting over to the side and they're not happy about this. They're murmuring and they're grumbling and they're questioning in their hearts, who is this guy? This is blasphemy. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. They're mad about this. And Jesus perceives in his spirit that they're very, very, very upset. So Jesus, looking at, the, at these scribes, and looking at the crowd says, so which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your mat, and walk. Well, they're pondering all this in their minds, and then Jesus, of course, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Who would ever know whether his sins are forgiven or not? I mean, you can't prove that. But then Jesus says, but so you know, so you know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, and he looks at the paralytic and says, rise, take up your mat, and we'll go home. <laughs> and the guy does it. I mean, isn't this great drama? The guy does it, and all the people are amazed. This guy picks up his mat, and he goes and goes to his house, and people are amazed. They say, we have never in all our lives seen anything like this.
Don't ever, 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 ever underestimate the power of God. Oh, there's so much in this story. But I'd just like to lift up three issues. First, the relationship between sin and sickness. In that day, the rabbis taught, and and the scribes would have taught, who were in that crowd would have taught, that sickness and sin go together. In fact, all sickness is the result of sin. If a woman was barren, there was something wrong with her, there was some sin in her life, that's why she couldn't have children. Or if somebody had leprosy, or if somebody had an illness, they had sinned. So they were always looking for, wonder what the sin was that provoked this illness, because sickness is the result of sin. But Jesus of Nazareth did not believe that. And here's why. In John chapter 9, Jesus' own disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, here's a man who was born blind from birth. And then the disciples, these 12 disciples say, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because they believed in that day in prenatal sin. You could actually sin when you were in the womb. So they said, who sinned, this man or his parents, maybe his mother or father sinned, because that's why he was born blind. And Jesus said, it's not that anybody sinned, it's he's born blind, and get this, so the works of God may be manifest within him. And Jesus is saying, don't look at the cause of an illness, look at the purpose God can do great things through illness. God can do great things through suffering. God can do great things through anything. Don't ever underestimate the power of God. The second thing this leads us to, this relationship between sin and sickness, is I want you to notice that Jesus used the skepticism of the scribes and took that very seriously. In fact, It's the skepticism of the scribes that unleashes the power of God. If they weren't sitting there looking like this with their arms full folded and we know everything about God, if they weren't sitting like that and Jesus perceived in his spirit, he might not have introduced all this about that he could forgive sins. But when he saw how they were looking at him, he goes further and he unleashes all the power of God. Jesus takes the scribes and their skepticism and their doubts seriously. And Jesus takes our skepticism skepticism and our doubts and our questions seriously too. So if there's anybody here today, as I've sometimes thought this in my life, maybe you've thought it in your life, if I don't have all faith, then nothing happens. In other words, I often think, gosh, my faith is inadequate, and if I'm skeptical, if I question, if I have doubts, then then I'm not going to get the full power of God. But what this text is suggesting is actually it's the doubts. It's the skepticism, it's the thought that Jesus is blaspheming that actually unlocks all the power of God. And Jesus says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your mat and walk. And it allows him to not only heal this one man, but to say, so you may know the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. He he unleashes his power by healing this guy. God takes our questions. God takes our skepticism. God takes our doubts. God takes our inadequacies very seriously. And when we take these doubts and skepticisms and whatever they are and offer them to God, make no mistake about it, we tap into and we have access to the very power of God. The third thing in this passage which is very powerful 
is that the paralyzed man is not the only paralyzed person in the story. These scribes have their own paralysis too, don't they? And their paralysis is that they think they're right. Have you ever been right and everybody else is wrong? The Pharisees thought, we are right. We've got it all together. We know God. We understand God. And so what they did is they, they lay out there on, on Jesus the fact that, well, who could forgive sins but God alone? And they think they've got God in a box. They think they know God. They're into religion. They're into all of these religious things with God. And they even miss the story. Here's what's the beautiful part of the story. Jesus says, essentially, I am the Messiah. So you may know that the Son of Man, which is a term for the Messiah, so that you may know the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, take up your mat, and walk. And the guy does. But what Jesus is also saying is, I am the Messiah. See, the scribes and Pharisees thought God is out there somewhere, and it was their job to talk to people about God. But what they didn't realize, and this is earth-shattering, this is why I wanted Spielberg to do this movie, is not only is God out there somewhere, but God is right here. He is in their midst. So when they say only God can forgive sins, what Jesus is saying is, in a sense, you're right. And God is right here in your midst. This is like lightning and thunder in the midst. God is in our midst. God is right here. Make no mistake about it. When we bring our skepticism, our doubts, our worries, our fears, our control, our desire to have everything work out the way we want, when we bring that to God, look out. Because <laughs> we can unleash the power of God. God's power is unleashed when we are honest before God. We have access to all the power of God. Sheila and Dick had access to all the power of God. They weren't sure about the power of God, but they had access to it. Sheila was a very, very serious, born-again Christian, an evangelical in every sense of the term. But Dick was really not a believer. In fact, he was a skeptic. He, he didn't believe in religion or God. And, and Sheila loved him with all her heart, but she was so mad because she was an evangelical, and, and she believed this with all her heart, and Dick just didn't believe it. And so... The only time Dick went to church with her at all was when the children would sing in the children's choir, but then he would get up and leave after the choir number was over, and, and he didn't believe in this. He didn't want to hear sermons, didn't want to hear anything. And, and so Sheila decided that she, that she would convert Dick to Christianity. So when Dick went to shave in the morning, on the mirror, Sheila had carefully placed scripture passages that Dick could read while he's shaving. And then she knew he loved a cup of hot coffee in the morning. She'd make his favorite cup of coffee, and she'd bring it to him. But then she would say, when she gave him the coffee, Dick, I'm giving you this cup of coffee in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, this wasn't working. In fact, Dick was so turned off to Christianity, he didn't want to hear anything about it. And Sheila came to me one day crying and saying, Tom, I'm trying to convert Dick to Christianity, but it's not working. I said, what are you doing? She told me about this. And I said, well, Sheila, if I was your husband, I, I wouldn't be moved by any of this anyway. She said, well, what, what do you mean? I said, well, Sheila, you're not taking Dick seriously. He's a skeptic. 
So take his doubts, his skepticism seriously. He doesn't believe this stuff, so take him seriously. I think God takes Dick very seriously. And she said, well, I want, to, I want Dick to become a Christian. I said, well, I do too, but the way to do it is not to hand him scripture passages and coffee in the name of Jesus Christ. The, the way to do it is for you to be a believer. You love Dick as he is, and you just let God work on him. She said, well, how do I know God will do what I want? I said, Sheila, you've got a lot to learn. So I said, just give him to God. And we prayed, and Sheila prayed that she would give Dick to God, that in God's time and in God's way, Dick might come a believer. That was her prayer, and it was my prayer. And I said, now get out of the way, Sheila. Just love Dick, and don't ever mention God again. Do you hear me? She said, okay. So months went by, months went by, months went by, and Dick came to one of the services when the children were singing in the choir, and he read in the bulletin there was a church basketball team, and he loved basketball. So he called me and he said, Tom, what do I have to do to be on the, on the church basketball team? I said, well, you have to be a member of the church, and uh, you have to come to church a little bit, and uh, you have to be a member of the church. He said, well, how do I become a member of the church? I said, we've got this four-week class called Inquirers. He said, oh, that's for me. I'm an inquirer. I'm a skeptic. I don't believe any of this stuff. I got lots of questions. I said, well, come to the class, join the basketball team, and come to the class, and uh, we'll take it from there. So he did, and we never had such phenomenal classes until Dick came to inquirers. He raised fabulous questions, and he was a skeptic. He had all these doubts, and he was funny, and he could tell great stories. He was an amazing guy. We all loved him, but he didn't believe any of this stuff, and he, he would kind of make fun of it, but he was skeptical, and he, was, he had his laughing, and our classes were from five to seven on Sunday. We increased it from five to eight, and sometimes it went from five to nine, and we would go on and on talking about God it was wonderful. And one night in the class, Dick said, I don't believe any of this stuff. I said, okay. But what if you thought about this? What if you would give as much of yourself as you can to as much of God as you now understand? Then if you understand a little more about God, to give a little more of yourself. But you don't have to have the whole cart. Just give God one little bit of your life. He said, now that I could do. I said, okay. So he professed his faith. He gave as much of himself as he could, just a little bit of himself to God, to as much of God as he understood. And then it was amazing. He joined the church. He was on our men's basketball team. He was our leading scorer. Things were going great, and, and it was wonderful. And, and Dick saw that I was going to teach the Bethel Bible series. And he said, Tom, I, I'm interested now in the, in the Bible. I said, well, come to the class. So he came to the Bethel Bible series. He became a Bethel Bible teacher. He loved the Bible. He was a wonderful linguist. He was, he was a great, actually, he could translate things. He was an amazing guy. He was a great Bible teacher, an amazing Bible teacher who was a skeptic, gave as much of himself as he could, as much of God as he understood, and God used him as a great Bible teacher. And then I left the church and went to another church and thought that was the end of it. I'd never hear from Dick and Sheila ever again. But two years into my new call in a new church, I get a letter from Sheila, dear Tom, guess what happened? You not only got Dick into the Bethel Bible series and the church basketball team, but the Wycliffe Bible translators heard he was good with languages. He was a brilliant guy, a great teacher, and they asked him to speak at their conference, and he did it, and they loved him so much, they want him to go on the staff of Wycliffe Bible translators. So, Tom, we're leaving tomorrow for Costa Rica, and we're going to be missionaries and evangelists in Costa Rica. And, Tom, it's all your fault. 
And I thought to myself, what could she possibly mean by that? And she said, in the next sentence in the letter, I never expected to God to go overboard. All I wanted was for a guy to sit in church with me and listen to the children sing. But God had a different idea. Do you get this? Sometimes Sheila's control, she wanted to control Dick. And Dick's skepticism, when they gave them to God, God did more with those little things than we would ever have imagined. What is it in your life that you and I need to give to God? Our skepticism, our doubt, our little tiny faith, our desire to control somebody and make them who we want them to be. Where, where is it in your life and mine that we need to give ourselves over to God? Be very careful. You hand yourself over to God and it might just change your life. Don't ever, 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 ever underestimate the power of God. Amen.